Welcome to episode 555 of Troubadours and Rockon Tours with yours truly, E.W. Conundrum Demure. This is our annual best of, so to speak, but it's not really the best of. It's some of the best bits and wits of the year. There's so much I could choose from, so many great conversations with so many awesome people. But this is what I came up with for 2023. It features Almighty Todd, Roni Bopla, David McDermott, John Shepard, Kim David Smith, Iris Smiles, Kitty Bell Burbank, Surf William, Martina Mayok, Paperboy Love Prince, Alan Jones, Tawanda Susbrick Joaquim, Peter Marks, Dustin Pittman, a.k.a. Dustin Pop, Jennifer Holmans, and Frederick Tutton. I'd like to thank all of those wonderful individuals that spoke with me this year, especially our tried and true regular contributors. I would also be remiss if I did not make note of and thank my very good friend and our associate producer, Dr. Michael Pavis, who does so very much to make this program happen at a high quality level. Let's get to it. Episode 555 of Troubadours and Rock on Tours. Best of kinda. Homesteader, winemaker, sensei, and our resident reluctant philosopher, straight out of Stockbridge, Vermont, Almighty Todd. Well, I guess I got to get off my whining, lazy buttocks and make my own way. You know, you know, have yeah, positive. Well, uh, maybe I'm just being a whiner, a lazy whiner. Power of positive thinking. Yep, that can get you a long way. Get you to be president, even. Oh, even, please. Even without anything else. But no, it's there, <laughs> there. There is something to it, and but there also is. Um, yeah, you, you you have to recognize and and, ex- and be okay with the fact that. We aren't in control of the outside world, you know, at all. We can affect it in some ways or another, some larger, some smaller in general. Some people go out of their way to spend a lot of money to do that. But, I mean, for most of us, it's about how we control or deal with what's going on internally, how we direct our intent internally. Excellent. In, in perspective with that outside world, because again, this goes back to this idea of primary control and secondary control. And like primary control is when we try to fix stuff out on the outside to make to make things better, because that's our first impulse. It just is, because we are Homo sapiens, are builders and, and changers. That's what we do. But secondary control is this idea of well. I can also decide how do I need to look at this? Is this really the problem I automatically think it is? Or if I change my mindset about it, is there an opportunity here? That taking the time to exert internal secondary control first can have a positive effect on how we then do engage in primary control on the outside. 
because we're more intent and directed. This is something I've just been kind of really thinking about lately as a way to like check myself, especially if, at those times I feel like, oh, what's going on? I can't do it. Okay, wait a second. Take a deep breath. You got to check yourself before you wreck yourself. Yeah. Ice cube. That's right ice on. cube. I got to give him right credit. <clears throat> That's beautiful. You know, the the the. This is that's a good point that where you know you don't need religion for for guidance in that time in that point that's a humanistic realistic response. It's wise, and it's it's, and it's very said. simple and very straightforward. You know that's that's good stuff. British Indo-American poet and visual artist. From her place in Sacramento, California, Roni Bopla. I have written recently about my desire for wanting to have children, but it, it, that intensity was in my 30s. I'm over 50 now. And so I have enough distance to understand that that was a very intense time for myself. I put the pressure on myself in terms of... Uh, you know, wanting children and having the right partner and so forth. And of course, that's all wrapped up in social expectations. But I think there is a biological component to that. What I've done is I've actively engaged in that topic recently and written some poetry about that. And I had a conversation with another poet and I described the page as a womb. So it gives me a certain freedom to say what I'm creating, it's, it lands on the page, and that's my creation. And so one can say that that's sort of a coping mechanism, and that's, that's probably true. However, I think that we're all wanting to make something, because I can see when I see someone make a piece of art, the joy that they feel is is unavoidable it's immediate it's an impulse and so i imagine giving birth is thousands of times that elation so so those are my general thoughts about that i don't have those desires anymore but i can see that transfer when i create something that i feel so beautiful i feel like a beautiful person for having created something like a, a, a picture or a poem and that I can share with the world. Time experimenter, artist, on location outside of Dublin, Ireland, David McDermott. But I love the past, and I don't see why other people don't love it too. They Pretty much these parents feel that they've accomplished something if they teach their children how to negotiate the present. Right. Exactly. I think that's what we're all trying to do is negotiate the present. Yeah, that... but there's more, there's more to it than the present. Well, you know, scientifically, there isn't any present. Scientifically, there is the past only. You know that. Because you're hearing what I'm saying a half second delay so this is the past 
we're experiencing the past. That's like looking at the stars. I I love the past. And the past has given me something to love for my whole life. And the issue is every person's job, no matter who they are, their job is to be in a good state of mind, to be in a good spirit. And the way that you remain in a good spirit is you need 20 things you like to do. Not two things, not football and, and video games. You need 20 things you'd like to do. You need to be able to walk the dog. You need to like trees. You, you need 20 things. And that's how you, you, you stay out of depression. And you can't let yourself go into depression. You have to climb yourself back up. And elation is the, at the top of it. And the psychiatrist, they don't want people being elated. But, you know, that's where we need to be is up there at the top. Engineer, composer, and radio voice to the universe. From his place in northern Michigan, John Shepard. Yeah, and, and as you mentioned, you know, we, we don't treat our own selves, you know, our own species uh, well enough. So how would we act toward uh, an extraterrestrial, you know, uh, group of, of uh, individuals coming here, probably pretty ugly, I suppose, I'd guess. Um, yeah, I, I think you're right. I think it could evolve into something pretty pretty unpleasant. Um, it, it's, it's always this kind of thing where uh, even with the uh, migration across the border, I mean, look at the kind of, uh, kind of dis- dislike and almost hatred almost that comes out of that. I mean, just for the fact that we're we have people coming, migrants coming into our country, and that that does not bother me as, as much as it does other people. I just see it as a transitional thing, and they are human for one thing. They're, they're us. That's right. <laughs> but it's just the idea. See, yeah, exactly. And but you deal when you're dealing with something maybe that's different uh, beings that are not totally like us, but yet share some features and share certain. The intelligence factor, then, then it becomes we become more apprehensive. I think that's in human nature to be apprehensive of the unknown, and I think that's exactly what we'd be dealing with is something pretty much unknown, except for those in the know, inside the, the intelligence communities or government or whatever, that know a lot more about this and have not revealed all the facts. I hope you're enjoying some of the best bits and wits of 2023 on Troubadours and Rock on Tours. Here is cabaret artist extraordinaire Kim David Smith. It's, it's the journey. You know, life is the journey. And what do I know? I'm still a kid, but life is the It is the journey, journey. though. I agree. I agree. Yeah. Do you feel comfortable um, breaking into song a cappella at this moment? Um, yeah, I mean, sure. I, my husband's at the gym now and my, my, my chief thing when I'm at home with him, because he's working from home, is that I am a continual and unabashed pest because I will sing like one phrase 
all day, all morning, and not really be aware of it because I'm just sort of enjoying myself. So, yes, the short answer is yes. He's not currently at home, and I am allowed to sing. <laughs> yeah, hit us with the phrase. I'd love to hear. I lo I'm sure the listeners would too. Johnny Fanzugapunstag hast, bin ich bei dir zu Gast für eine Nacht. Johnny, ich träum so viel von dir. Ach, komm doch mal zu mir, nachmittags um halb vier. There you go. That's for free. There you go. That was beautiful, Kim. Thank you. Thank you so uh, much. That was beautiful. Pleasure. What is that from? That's uh, Johnny van Dugebortstag Hest, which uh, was written by Friedrich Hollander, who is my personal favorite uh, composer for Dietrich and of the Weimar period. He later moved, he escaped, thank goodness, and uh, relocated to Hollywood, where he kept working, um, did a bunch of cool stuff over there. Thank you, Kim. And now we have acclaimed American humorist writer from her place in New York, Iris Smiles. You know, with this also this idea of, of people talk a lot about humorists being uh, sad or comedians being sad. Um, and so I wonder about the reverse. Sometimes when I see these very humorless movies or read these humorless books that are just, you know, it's just one bleak thing after another. It's sort of cancer, suicide, murder fest, you know. <laughs> um, and I guess that often passes for seriousness. Uh, I don't agree. I think what what is serious is, you know, when, when someone is in, engaging intelligently with ideas and, and funny requires a, another layer. But um, Sometimes when I see that, I wonder these those who are writing these very very sad kind of you know film festival movies, are they actually really lighthearted, happy-go-lucky people who in their work are trying to escape their uh, carelessness by by writing about tragedy uh, in, in the same way that the lore is that uh, funny comedians are trying to escape their misery through laughter. That's, that's a great question. That's a great question. Jenny said when she was just five years old, there was nothing happening at all. Every time she puts on a radio, there was nothing going down at all, not at all. Then one fine morning, she puts on a New York station, you know she don't believe what she heard at all. She started shaking to that fine, fine music, you know her life was saved by rock and roll.
Professor, baker, and candlestick maker from her place in the West Side, Kitty Bell Burbank. We want what we want. I see that with students all the time. It's like, you guys are going to have to compromise. You know, you're not going to get it exactly the way that you dream it will be. You know, something is going to happen that's going to become an obstacle or throw you off course or change you know, what you think you're going to do. And that could be for the better in the long run, or it could be a matter of compromising, settling, 
you know, I, I never wanted to be a journalist, but hey, I got to write about the arts. So who was going to complain? Um, not exactly what I wanted to do, but it was a good it was a it was a good compromise. I could take care of my kids, have a steady day job and write about theater and go to plays. OK, not bad. so maybe. Yeah, I'll take that. You know, <laughs> I'll take that deal. There's a there's a lot of compromising we have to do, and there's a lot of struggling and suffering and doing hard things the hard way for not a lot of money sometimes. But I think in the long run, at least what I'm learning is that people will respect you for being authentic for being who you really are and not trying to be something that you're not. Right. Right. People respond to that. And then they, they want, they want to see you succeed. Ax aficionado, fiddle player, educator, our resident historian from his place in Bucks County, Pennsylvania, Surf William. I don't like the Catholic church. I don't want to, and I don't want that whole mindset of, uh, you know, that story that they tell everybody and the guilt. And I think it's damaging. And I don't, you know, I don't want to abuse my children. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I never, my, you know, you and I were brought up in the church, going to church with all of the the dogma and everything that goes along with it. I didn't, I, I, on one hand, I thought it was a valuable, it was a valuable um, experience because we did learn about you know, our specific religious tradition. And um, my mom was a music director in a Lutheran church also. So I, I was able to sometimes go to Catholic masses and Lutheran services and compare and contrast and and sort of um, notice the 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 differences in those two in those two practices and and things that I thought were hypocritical and things that I thought kind of made sense, but not really. And so I felt like it was educational on a certain level. And my kids don't have that because I didn't, my kids weren't exposed to church at all. Um, so I'm kind of thankful that I had it as a learning experience, but in terms of shaping my morality and my, my ethos and my, my thinking, no, I, I, think, I think most religions are patently absurd, if I can just be blunt. The surf and I just don't like that religion. Anywho, in between rehearsals in New York City, Tony nominated and Pulitzer Prize winning playwright Martina Mayok. So, yeah, like I, and then, you know, in terms of other father figures, I mean, I, you know, I came to when I came to the country, I lived with a lot of, you know, I, I had a stepfather who was, who was pretty violent and, and abusive, and so. Um, most of the men um, have been either absent or, or destructive, but I did have, I had a really close relationship with my grandfather, who was the, the man that I, the, the, the family member that I lost right before I started writing Cost of Living. Uh. And he was, uh, he was the dearest. I, I, I loved him so much. I love him now. He's, you know, um, he's, he's gone, but I, I still have, conversations and you know relate relate to him um what's his name for advice pavel pavel mayok so paul the version paul and he um he was a painter in poland 
um, which, you know, being a painter in Poland is like the state will ask it, <laughs> like will ask you to, to. So it's like so to see. It doesn't it's not it wasn't lofty, it wasn't it wasn't a lofty you know, um, artist life. But I was surrounded by paints and um, an artist mentality, and he did this. He supported my grandmother and my mom on painting and so i looked up to him so much and i think his uh he is why i became an artist you know i also wanted to be at some point i think i want to be a visual artist because i was trying to uh to to be closer to him um and then eventually found the theater and found writing and and found myself in that space but so, but that that's my father my in my in my heart that's my that's my father figure was was my grandfather um so i miss him terribly artist activist community builder on his way back from miami to brooklyn new york paper boy love prince and part of it is is like uh something one of my best friends told me this he was like do all of your ideas you know um your you, if your goal is to help people if your goal is to inspire people, you know, if your goal is to uplift your community, do all of your ideas. Don't hold back. Um, you, you have one life to live, and people are waiting on you. We need, we need you. We need every single person to be the best that they can be. That's how we're great. So I, I tell folks, you know, right now is not a time to be silent. It's a time active. I come from a, a line of activists. My my grandfather and grandmother started a church in Brooklyn in the 1960s. My uh, mother and father went to uh, college together in Washington, D.C. at Howard University, and uh, were, were protesting there. And that same energy instilled in me is why I'm so eager about using our political system for the people, finding unique ways uh, to actually reach people and and being consistent, you know? Like I said, I've run for office for multiple years, and that's not just because I'm like, oh, I feel like I need to be elected, but it's because that consistency of like, oh, wow, yeah, I'm running as a Democrat, I'm on the ballot as a Democrat, and I have been every single time, but it's, I'm also an independent candidate. I'm not the Democratic Party's elite choice, necessarily. I'm the, the folks who really want change in the city I'm, I'm their choice and so finding ways to like really bring it back to the people that's what we need and yeah I'm committed to doing that and I'm, I'm so thankful to have platforms like this where I have a chance to speak thank you so much for having me listen I love you so much I love all of your listeners and <laughs> paper yeah it's our time music journalist extraordinaire from his place in London, Alan Jones. Who did you have the most fun conversing with thus far? You have some po people that pop into your, your mind? Oh, one immediate, well, more than one immediately, but uh, the first one, um, always when I'm asked that question, uh, is Lou Reed. Yeah. He, 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 he was just... I mean, I was a, a huge Velvet Underground fan, a huge fan of Lou's work, you know, Cale's solo work, Nico's solo work. Uh, I was besotted but with, with everything about the Velvet Underground. Um, 
so I was thrilled to meet him and I was you know quite aware of his reputation for you know vir- virtually eviscerating every journalist who tried to interview him <laughs> uh, but I, I somehow really got on with him he, he seemed to take a real shine to me um, and he, he was so enlightening uh, about everything that I asked him. Uh, the first time I, I, I interviewed him, I was given a list of questions that uh, uh, I wasn't to ask. Uh, I, I was told not to ask him about the Velvet Underground, Andy Warhol, John Cale, Nico. Uh, don't mention Metal Machine Music. Don't mention Berlin. Don't mention David Bowie. Definitely don't mention Trans- uh, Transformer or Walk on the Wild Side. The list rather went on. Uh, and I thought, well, you know, this may be the only opportunity I'm ever going to get to not only meet, but actually speak to Lou Reed. So I just ignored um, the, the instructions that I'd been given and dived straight in with questions about the Velvet Underground. And Lou answered them all unhesitatingly in loads of detail. And I've got to say, he was just the funniest person I've ever met. <laughs> Yeah. Absolutely hilarious. <laughs> I mean, he was scathing. He had a scalding tongue. Um, but he, every moment with him was just exciting. Acclaimed jazz vocalist, composer, and songwriter from her place in Los Angeles, California, Tawanda Susprick Joachim. Jazz composers and jazz musicians are so good about... Um, you know, you can really feel the lyrics in the melody. Mm-hmm. So if, whether it's being sung or not, you can you can you know what's happening because mm-hmm. of how they have painted the picture in the chords or in the melody, which is something that I'm like, I am paying very close attention to when I'm writing my own music, um, and I just think it's anyway, it's so brilliant. But yeah, I, I also you know I also in my own music I'm just excited to to kind of you know when we're writing lyrics when I'm writing lyrics it doesn't have to be so complicated it can actually be it can be so simple like I don't have to you know when I'm writing music is like one of the only times I can kind of still my brain which is naturally very you know I like to analyze things I like to think a lot I'm a very philosophical person and it sometimes gets me into trouble because (laughs) I'm constantly just like thinking 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 but when I'm writing I'm finally able to just like slow it down to a moment slow it down to a simple you know four words four lines and um, it's kind of like I can I just I can channel it in a in a better way so I'm I'm really excited to share that with everyone.
the love I'm hanging on me push and shove Possession is the motivation that is hanging up The goddamn nation looks like we always end up in a rut Everybody now trying to make it real compared to what Children are killing frogs Poor dumb rednecks rolling logs Tired old ladies kissing dogs I hate the human love of that stinking mud I can't use it Trying to make it real compared to what what it's for nobody gives us a rhyme or reason half a one doubt they call it treason we're chicken feathers all the way out one day. god damn it I'm trying to make it real compared to what The wrath of God Preachers filling us with fright They all trying to teach us what they think is right They really got to be some kind of nut I can't use it Trying to make it real compared to what
and where's that honey? Where's my God and where's my money? Unreal values of crass distortion. Unwed mothers need abortion. Kind of brings to my old young King Tut. He did it now. Trying to make it real compared to what? Now, staff writer and chief theater critic for the Washington Post, Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist, from his place just outside of Washington, D.C., Peter Marks. Yeah, yeah, that's a good, uh, that's a good question. Yes, well, a, a hit, you know, a hit is, a, um, is actually a financial term. So we call a hit a show that has... Um, made its money back. That's basically the, 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 the ridiculously uh, arcane definition of what a hit is. But in the sense of a critical hit, you're describing the, that, that issue of how do you write a rave? What is it that qualifies as a rave review? And it is, it is indeed something that feels like a whole, an organic whole. It's an organism in which all the parts coalesce, the acting, the design, the direction, uh, the writing. You know, all feel as if they're of a piece and they thrill you, they fill you up uh, with a, a sense of completeness, a sense of uh, mission accomplished, a, a sense of, of your own senses, your own sensory experience heightened by what's happened on the stage. And, and what happens again, you know, going back to your question about gut or, or instinct or brain, it starts with that gut feeling that you've just seen something remarkable. And then your job as a critic is to is to understand how these various elements have been integrated and what was it about the performances that worked so well for you? Why did someone seem so naturally uh, 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 conversant with the character they're playing? Why did why did the um, the movement of the play seem so briskly un, um, unencumbered so that so that you don't even feel time passing? Uh, you know, the worst thing for a critic for me is when, like, if I'm 15 minutes into a show and I'm looking at my watch, bad. <laughs> you know, that I shouldn't. I shouldn't be aware of time. It should almost be an element that's 
that's uh, that whisked out of the theater. And then it's and it's a question of what elements of the design, the costumes, the the set, the music or the sound, um, how well it's produced, how much you how much is um, discernible to you, what kinds of feelings it evokes for you. And if it somehow enlarges your sense of the world. Legendary fashion, music and art photographer Dustin Pittman, a.k.a. Dustin Pop, from his place in Manhattan. It's all going backwards, banning books and Roe versus Wade's over and, you know, like they were trying to bring it back, you know, like all this stuff, you know, it's the same. Yeah, it's going backwards. So it's so weird. I mean, we struggled. You know, I, I would like to think I'm a veteran of that kind of social causes, you know. I mean, we struggled. I was out there in the street when we did the march. And people call it a parade, but it wasn't a parade. It was a march. When we did the Stonewall March, and I photographed it for Evergreen Review, Grove Press. And the thing is, I spent all day, and we 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 assembled outside the Stonewall on Waverly Place. At the time when we assembled, there was no more than not even two hundred people in the march. We had a banner called the Christmas Tree Gay Liberation Parade. I have the pictures, all these pictures of it. Um, and uh, they, we, we marched up, we marched down Waverly Place, up 6th Avenue, all the way up to Central Park. And as we, as we started getting further and further up into the numbers in Manhattan, people would join us. But in the beginning of the march, Man, I'm telling you, it was tough. We only they only gave us less than like four feet of space from the curb of this of this of the street. We could, we didn't have the whole street. I have pictures of the cars actually driving while we're marching on the side. You know, the four feet, five feet width. And, and this, you know, the, the march was how, people, how how long after the raid at Stonewall was that? Soon after. Well, the raid was in '69. Right. So the so the so the march was in seventy. Gotcha. So the thing is, um, you know, uh, but there was tensions in between sixty nine and seventy. I mean, I was around through all that time. Again, so you're a was, kid. Uh, you were just a kid. You're like twenty. Yeah, I was. Yeah, I was young. Yeah, yeah, I was young. My friends used to call me a together tot. A together tot. Yeah, <laughs> that's funny. That it's funny though. But but anyway, yeah. I mean, but but you know, when we were marching, I remember people on the streets. Man, they were throwing garbage at us and calling all kinds of names. And like it was, it was, it was scary. It was really scary. For that and to happen you, in New York, it's very scary. Yeah, yeah, and like you know. uh and so, you know, we got up to Central Park and, you know, they had a big, we had a big, huge loving being or whatever you want to call it, you know, and the, and the big uh, grass, you know, and the lawn. So, you know, um, but, you know, the, the, the reason why, the, in, in answer to your question, you know, the one word that you kind of left out is about the reason why that I photographed all these things is because... I loved being passionate and in in relationship with people because I didn't, I only photographed what I loved. I only photographed what I was passionate about. And I only photographed who I wanted to be in relationship with. 
And so I did have a chance. There was a time in my career where, um, yes, I did work for W and I did work for Women's Wear Day and I worked for, you know, I did Life Magazine covers. I worked for Life Magazine, Harper's Bazaar. And I did all those like kind of like fashion sittings where you have makeup and hair and they take four or five hours. But, you know, I realized after a couple of years that that wasn't really my style. You know, that wasn't my identity. And so, you know, even though it was a lot of money involved with with commercial and editorial photography, I really wanted to get back to my roots. And I pulled out of that scene. I pulled out of that whole wave. And I and even though it was less money, I got my identity back. Yeah, and that's priceless. It is priceless. If, trust me, because for me, that's the most important thing. You have to stick to your root, your roots.
American historian, author, and dance critic for the New Yorker magazine from her place in New York City, Jennifer Homans. That's where Balanchine comes in. You know, he was born into that. So he learned the ballet from that very um, classical uh, heritage. And what he ended up doing is he was really a, an avant-garde radical artist who uh, was a child during the Russian Revolution and came of age during the, the revolutionary years when people in art were trying to remake the world through art and to make everything progressive, as he always put it, to move on. They were interested in eroticism, in revealing the human form, in ideas of abstraction, in um, just just a, a sort of you know abs um, expressionism. All of the things you think of coming out of Russia and out of Europe, where he emigrated in 1924, fleeing the USSR, were, were things that he absorbed. And so what he did in the end, by the time he was in New York in 1933 until his death in 1983, he had basically a project to change this symmetrical, balanced form and take it off balance into a spherical, uh, four-dimensional, as he liked to put it, realm, to the problem that he faced really was that he had seen the human form destroyed by war and revolution and the 20th century. Mm. So how are you gonna make a dance that is symmetrical and beautiful and aligned? You can't. You can't do that in the 20th century. So he, he, he had to redesign the way people moved. And, and that off-balance um, sort of speed and an art form that never wanted you to stop, always wanted you to go, because if you weren't going, you would fall, and the whole thing could collapse. So there's a sense in which the body is always living at the edge of chaos. And... It's only through the technique and form that you hold your body and your world together. Writer, artist, painter, scholar, Frederick Tutton. Just fluid, flowing, reading, that you wanted to read it, but you didn't have to make any sense. Unfortunately, I must say, unfortunately, it makes sense. <laughs> I'm very disappointed in myself. It's again, all my themes, everything, it's as if all the themes unconsciously came together in this one last novel. I hope not last novel, but for now. All of it. The relationship of men and women. Love and the disappointments. Money and the relationship of money to love. All that is in this book. And it's fluid and it's fresh and I'm very excited about it. I hope everyone else is because I hope I can put it out there. And I think as also... I hope, actually, I hope, I hope as a kind of example to young people to say, don't be afraid. I'm, I'm, at the end, I'm at the end of the road, and I want to be brave, and uh, I, 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 I want to maybe indicate that bravery is available to everyone for once, once in a lifetime, maybe, or whenever you can, to demonstrate some bravery and courage in your work, do it. 
that's it. That's what this this book. I I, I really I'm, I must tell you. I I promise you. I say this without I, without hubris. I look at it and I say, who wrote this book? When I'm reading it, I think myself, yeah, who wrote it? Who is this person? It's as if some other person wrote it. A young person, a young young writer of 20, 23, 24. Hmm. Energetic, prose is, prose is energetic, and it's passionate, and it's so romantic that I want to, I, I read it, Fred, come on, stop. What world are you talking about? This is like, does it, not, even, not even Byron. Nothing <laughs> swooning with love. But it's, it's drippingly romantic. And I don't care. I just don't care. I don't want to be cool. You know, when I when Suntag, Susan Suntag, I was very close friends all her life. And took, I loved her very much. And when I did a novel uh, called The Green Hour, which again, it's very much like this book in the sense that it's about a woman in love or people in love and what happens to them. And I remember when she read The Green Hour, she gave me a beautiful little blurb. You know what she said to me? She said, Fred, she was thinking about the period of the uh, of the 60s and early 70s. She said, why did we think we had to be cool? <laughs> I said, she said, you know, what that meant was lots of it. It meant like strip away the adjective, tone down the prose, distance yourself, cool, like an object, like you know, something without a personality. And we began to laugh. You know, at a certain moment, you, I, I feel so, I feel so much this it's my first novel, which was a designedly a work that was a statement. It had very other benefits, but it was a statement about writing. And now I feel all intentions of anything to do with the literary life or world or thought has vanished. And all I am interested in now is a creation made from love and about love. Well said. Well said. I'm Fred. so happy that we met. And by the way, I wanted to tell you, thank you, I love your beard. Thank you, sir. Yours is looking you. good, too. I'm having a little, yeah. No, not, not yours. I wonder if I shouldn't try to make it more full. Yeah, we both have this white hair. How old are you, may I ask? I'm 57. Oh, my God, you youngster. <laughs> oh, I wish I could be 57 again. Well, I hope I'm as cool as you and uh, as, as wise as you and as gracious as you when I'm 87. Well, cent'anni. 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 And ci vediamo. Spero, spero senz'altro. Please say hello to, uh, you know, Mr. Pavese for me. I will. And say hello. And I hope I, I, I don't lose contact, not just about this. Don't lose contact. If you ever come to New York and I'm in the office, get together, let's have a lunch, let's do something. That would be an honor, sir. Thank you. Really, it's too short. To, when you like people, you know how it is. You have a sympathetic reaction. You feel the person. I feel that about you. Your face, everything about you is, tells me, this is a warm person. This is a sympathetic person, intelligent, charming person. Please let's not lose touch, okay? Thank you. Yes, sir. I Thank you. I, I, I feel the same about you, and, and thank you for saying those kind words. And there you have it, episode 555 of Troubadours and Rockin' Tours with yours truly, E.W. Conundrum Demure. Some of the best bits and wits of 2023. I'd like to thank those folks who made this episode possible. Almighty Todd, Rony Bopla, David McDermott, Kim David Smith, Iris Smiles, 
Surf William, Martina Mayok, Paperboy Love Prince, Alan Jones, Tawanda Susbrick, Joaquim, Peter Marks, Dustin Pittman, Jennifer Holmans, Frederick Tutton, Dr. Michael Pavis, and these musical artists, Thelonious Monk, The Velvet Underground, Eddie Harris and Les McCann, The Land of Talk, Branford Marsalis and Terrence Blanchard too. And of course, I'd like to thank you for listening. Here's to a great 2024. Take care of yourself.